0: marlo editor-in-chief of breitbart news and this is the breitbart news daily podcast thanks so much for picking up my book Breaking the News, New York Times bestseller, and I'm seeing that rise up the charts a little bit. I know it's thanks to some new listeners. Appreciate that very much. And actually, if you head over to alexmarlow.com, I will be launching a newsletter today, probably do it once a week, maybe turn into once a day, depending on the interest level, where I will give a little commentary on some of my favorite Breitbart headlines of the week, and I'd lay out some narrative for those of you in essay form and hot take form. It's very popular. So alexmarlow.com for that, and all my socials as well. Picking up the Breitbart app. Telling 10,000 friends and family members about us is very, very helpful. I've noticed a lot of five-star reviews flowing in on some of the podcast charts. That's also very helpful as well. I think that uh, helps with the algorithms that control so much of what we read and also what we listen to. So thank you so much to everyone for spreading the word of an amazing launch week so far. And I would like to think today's show will not be an exception. Um, we continue to break down some of the fallout in the monologue section from the election on uh, election night on Tuesday. I read from Breitbart's exclusive interview with Edward Durr, the the truck driver who has taken out the New Jersey State Senate president, a guy named Steve Sweeney, a Democrat, had been in for twenty years. Uh, just amazing message coming from an honest to goodness blue collar American who got himself involved and uh, did something unthinkable, which is one with almost no budget, almost no web presence, and just a great message. Uh, We play some Winsome Sears clips. Irresistible. She's irresistible and uh, talk about another upbeat message and a great messenger to deliver it that all uh, is a stark contrast to what you see from the MSNBC crowd that continues to harp on the white supremacy of, you know, electing immigrants in Virginia. Uh, All of that to come, plus our interview with J.D. Vance. I've known J.D. for a long time um i hillbilly elegy his book which turned into a pretty good hollywood movie directed by ron howard as well are pretty much essential reading i would say regardless of your take of him on as a senate candidate he's running for senate in ohio I, i think he's a very good candidate there's other very good candidates in the race and we'll talk about that in the interview as well but just one of those americans that has just an amazing story and is always fascinating to talk to and we get into a lot of issues from the election uh, that he's in to the fallout from tuesday as well as what he believes should be done with the education system fascinating stuff as well as of course our caller of the day. As always, I recommend you still go to brightport.com because there's just so much constant breaking news that we just can't get to all of it. On the short 45-minute or so podcast, VAX mandates are getting implemented for children in San Francisco. And in the meantime, the federal vax mandate is getting delayed, uh, some stuff that's just so big and uh, yet does not come up somehow on the show today. So that's why I recommend you supplement with the SiriusXM app, the SXM app, get the full show, and go to brightport.com all day, every day. But without further delay, let's get into it, the monologue. A lot of exciting things going on, but none more exciting than the political fallout that's going on. Um, it, the AP called the race for Phil Murphy. The pretty unpopular governor of New Jersey, needless to say, because New Jersey has a you know a huge voter gap for Democrats, and he still managed to get only about fifty percent of the vote. And a lot of people have left the state, and this was has been a theme there. And the people leaving the state are leaving. For Probably because they're right of center, typically. So, which should actually help the voter gap for Phil Murphy, and still only manage to squeak out a measly fifty percent at this time. But it was just so painful to watch those of us who don't like the idea of a forty-five day window to vote, which I believe is the the window they have in New Jersey, um, to watch the, uh, the the vote by mail, aka cheat by mail, vote come rolling in of the vote that is. Probably sometimes illegal. And even the the vote that is legal, again, it's impossible to get to the bottom of all this stuff. Uh, The the vote that is legal, community organized, meaning uh, people who are not so inclined to vote, but they get they vote anyway because the Democrat machine mobilizes and gets them to turn in a ballot of some kind for who knows what reason. It is utterly ridiculous. There is no uh, there is no first world country that behaves this way. In terms of playing fast and loose with their own voting system. You don't need 45 days to vote. You don't need 45 days to vote. You don't need 45 days to vote. I don't know how uh, clear we need to be about this and why Republicans are not screaming this from the rafters. Uh, I do not know other than that is a failure on the Republican Party. This needs to be a mantra that is repeated constantly and i don't know how many nights we have to have like this where we watch the vote by mail vote roll in knowing it's not 100% legit and watch close races go to Republicans, go to democrats so it should be a personal embarrassment to every republican particularly in new jersey that this happened a state with a sane voting uh, time window would have been more would have would have easily easily meant a republican upset there that said, I don't know really much about Chitarelli. We didn't do anything with him at Breitbart, um, though we'd love to. Now um, he could end up being a star because this is a pretty pretty great result, anyway. And uh, you know, hopefully he'll he'll come by. The good news, and this is this is a positive, and I will give Republicans credit on this. And this is an exclusive that we have at Breitbart uh, that they are lawyered up in the state, which I think is very exciting. So we have a big story on how they've got a lot of lawyers on the ground in New Jersey, and they're going to look to challenge. Uh, any legitimate way possible. Now, I'm not for uh, doing things where we will lose the moral high ground, but I am absolutely uh, inclined to make sure that we have a free and fair election system, which I have not regarded as free and fair for a long time. And those of you who are new to the broadcast, I'm not talking about Dominion voting machines flipping votes. I'm talking about the fact that we have a system which is uh, no one fully understands it because that is the design. It is totally chaotic. Where every state and many localities have rules that shift so often, and they shift in such a way where no one can keep track, where people show up to the polls and they don't know exactly what their rights are and what they aren't. And this gives an advantage to the full-time community organizers that are funded by the institutional left to manipulate in a way that uh, provides precious percentage points for Democrats. That is the system. That is the design. I don't know how it's constitutional. I thought the Constitution talked about it election day. Maybe I've got that wrong. If I do, fill me in. But still, a good effort by the by Cittarelli in general. Um, but he said the decision for the AP to call the race was irresponsible because he thinks that there is it's super tight and there's going to be more things to challenge. And I think that that is a, a good that he's he's open minded to it. But you know, we'll see how well that goes. Um, it's interesting because it seems like the story with with Murphy is that he he did such a bad job with the coronavirus that's one of the reasons why he almost lost in a state that uh, should be overwhelmingly Democrat. Um, the nursing home policy was as bad as Andrew Cuomo's. It was the same. Policy where he essentially sentenced a lot of senior citizens to death by cramming sick coronavirus patients back into the nursing homes with um, uh, with with vulnerable the most vulnerable people among us and into confined locations uh, with poor ventilation and poor care the most vulnerable people are elderly and a lot of them died because of this uh, heinous and horrible policy, which also brings up the point that I bring up so often, including yesterday, which is it, it just th- that's the type of stuff it, it, in, a, in and of itself. Like, How could 50% vote for a guy who did that? Literally a policy that led to mass death among seniors. New Jersey, remember at the start, had some of the worst numbers other than New York City, pretty much the worst in the country with the coronavirus. And they had severe lockdowns, which caused a lot of people to leave the state. if They weren't leaving already because of you know, high taxes and huge state debt, et cetera, And they've kind of had one-party rule, or they're very close to one-party rule for a while. I know Christie was in there as governor um, recently, somewhat recently. But they're definitely heading in the direction of California, and we've seen how one-party rule has gone in California. California solved none of their problems over the last 30 years. People who might be new to the broadcast, I'm a native Californian. I lived there for 26 years, and my family's still there, at least most of it. My wife's family's still there. My wife's from there, so... California is always on my mind Um, and in California they have had one party rule for a long time and the exact slate of problems that I grew up with unusable schools, too much legal immigration, too much homelessness, too much traffic, unusable airports not nice roads and people that are generally walking around grumpy with one another has only gotten much worse and no one's chipped away at a single one of those issues and it seems like the uh, the, the the wildfires have gotten worse, and it seems like the solutions to all of these things are more solar panels. Seems to be the only thing I can name specifically that is that is being done. So that's the 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 direction New Jersey's going. And uh, Murphy's attitude in particular seems to be quite smug. Like he calls people knuckleheads and stuff all the time. I mean. Uh, you know, we we love our boomers here, when we only have the best boomers. Okay, the best boomers at Breitbart News Daily, but uh, that is that is a very okay boomer that he does that stuff. Literally, is uh, policies resulting in mass deaths, calling people knuckleheads because they're not uh, obeying by his rules and mandates. A very positive contrast in the state is the a truck driver named Edward Durr and Edward Durr did an exclusive interview with our own Joel Pollock, and he will be on Joel Pollock's show on Breitbart News Sunday, 7 p.m. Eastern and on the SXM app um, every Sunday night. Joel's one of our senior editors at large and Edward Durr is ran for the New Jersey State Senate and he's apparently defeated Steve Sweeney who is the Senate president has been there for 20 years, and he did this by basically he's a truck driver, and he did this with the purest of the grassroots campaign. There is no his web presence is so minuscule; it's difficult to track him down aside from that he's there actually interacting with the people. That's how we were able to get to him. And the quotes in the article are just really beautiful. He's got a great campaign ad that you must watch. He says the main issue was rights. People talk about New Jersey as the highest taxes and we're the worst state for business with high debt and so on, but the bottom line is rights. It's family. When somebody's messing with your family, you'll do anything, he said. The governor was messing with people's families. When you mess with someone's job, their livelihood, their home, their children, people just won't take that. It was a combination of a governor who acts like a king and a Senate president who acts like a court jester and does nothing. That makes it very easy to convince people that they were not being paid attention to, and when they got ignored, they got angry. So good, fifty-eight-year-old truck driver, and clearly someone who cares about his state and his country a lot. Um, more great quotes and great photos, but just just we love these types of stories at Breitbart and uh, highlighted Breitbart com right now. All right, more good news, bad news. Um, let's start with some uh, good news. It's still it just seems like the conservative. Uh, The media ecosystem just has Winsome Sears fever, and why wouldn't they? Um, If you guys listened to the broadcast yesterday, including the podcast, you could hear the first few minutes of her victory speech, which was sensational. Um, The new Virginia lieutenant governor-elect, who not only is a class act, with an amazing story but is living proof that the narrative that is being pushed on us by the establishment left that this is all about race is uh, a hokum um here is a lady named tiffany cross over at msnbc i think she's a legally analyst but they're also interchangeable Uh, here is what is the commentary on msnbc 3a mr paul
1: Now, there is no uh, clearer snapshot of where a country stands, who it is, and what it wants, than the results of an election. And that's why your timeline is bogged down with these hot takes and a wake-up call about woke politics and who's to blame, and why the pundits are throwing the panic room wide open for the Democrats. One of the takeaways you definitely saw was how the election, in particular the one in Virginia, was a referendum on the left's failure to deliver their agenda. A rebuke on everything from critical race theory to the Democrats' election strategy. But let's be honest, here's the thing. All those takes are like searching the edges while refusing to see what's staring right back at you. And I can assure you, Black voters in Virginia are not shocked by the so-called Yunkin Shocker. This isn't about enthusiasm. This isn't about Democrats not doing enough to exercise their base. And this definitely is not about messaging or even about Beloved. This is about the fact that a good chunk of voters out there are okay with white supremacy. Let's call a thing a thing. Actually, scratch that. They are more than okay.
0: So they're okay with they're more than okay with white supremacy, whatever that means. They like it, so they like white supremacy. So isn't the elephant in the room here that a black immigrant won the lieutenant governor race as a Republican? And is. Not to mention, if you look at social media analytics with Tiffany Cross might not be looking at, but if you are running the MSNBC newsroom, you're certainly looking at it. You're watching conservative media go absolutely crazy for her. So this is the whole thing is that this is the the embodiment of Joe Biden's if you're not with me, you ain't black uh, comment that he really meant it. The, the the definition of being a minority at this point in America, according to the people on MSNBC, is not whether or not you actually have dark skin. It is now about, or whether or not you came from another country. Uh, it is about whether or not you support the Democrat establishment. People like Kerry the ultimate the ultimate establishmentarian. That is the definition. It is not your actual skin tone. It is how you vote, and if you don't vote for... Um, white guys from the past, like Terry McAuliffe, then you are some sort of a racist. That's it. Even if you're black. um, Those of you who care about such things, I had an amazing conversation with Larry Elder on his show yesterday. Larry and I are old friends. I was an intern for him close to 20 years ago. I guess maybe 17 years ago. Maybe 16 years ago. Um, but he... Uh, got one, the second uh, question on the California recall ballot. But of course, Gavin Newsom survived the recall. Um, So Larry would have been the governor had Newsom got recall, but he didn't. And so that is out there if you follow, wherever you follow Larry. And we were on about 40 minutes, mostly talking about big tech, but he's always fascinating. He's about the fastest guy there is. He's about the fastest brain in the business. There's, I can think of one or two others that are kind of uh, uh, freakishly fast out there. Um, that I, I will not hat tip, but Larry is, he's fast. And so always a blast to talk to him. Those of you who care about such things, but remember the LA times called him the black face of white supremacy. So a, a true American original, a true American success story guy who also came from nothing South central and became a success in multiple fields and, and nearly became governor of a one party state. That's not his party. And, um, again, he's reduced to that. So here's a clip of Winsome Sears who was on Fox. Um, let's play uh, 9A like this one. Go ahead.
2: Because you see, I'm destroying all the narratives about race. Look at me. Look at me. I am a heartbeat away from the governorship in case anything happens to the governor. And, and how are you going to tell me then I'm a victim and I didn't do anything special to get here? except stay in school and study. I took advantage of the opportunities that are available here in America. I wasn't born here. This is not my culture, not my country, but it it allowed me, America allowed me to come and 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 do for myself and for my family. And I remember when I was wanting to go to college, I had three children under 5. My husband took a lower paying job so he could stay home because he already had his degree. And I put one of my children on the back of a bicycle so that I could get to college. So no one can say to me, I don't know what it is to be poor. You're looking at the American dream. Mm. So we can do better. And it's not 1963 when my father came at the height of the civil rights movement, uh, 17 days before Martin Luther King Jr. gave his I Have a Dream speech. We're better than that. We're always going to have problems. I understand that. I'm not saying we're perfect. But you can see those people at the border right now trying to get in. They're dying to get in because they know if they can put a foot on American soil, the trajectory of their Mm -hmm. lives will change just as it did for my father.
0: Amazing. Unbelievably inspiring. That's her story. And um, uh, just a just just remarkable. Let's contrast that with what they're doing over at MSNBC again with Joy Reid. Play our Joy Reid clip, Mr. Paul.
1: You have to be willing to vocalize that these Republicans are dangerous, that this isn't a party that's just another political party that disagrees with us on tax policy, that at this point, they're dangerous. They're dangerous to our national security because stoking that kind of soft white nationalism eventually leads to the hardcore stuff.
0: Yeah, soft white nationalism, which is what they got now, and then it's going to be the hardcore stuff. That's Winsome Sears in a nutshell, right? terrific all right that's uh, i hope people are impressed let's see other stories that i think are are worth pointing out aside from the democrats not learning their their lessons which is great and i do i won't read them because they're they're so cringy i won't spend time on them uh, right now but i do recommend you all go to com and read hollywood celebrities panic after republicans winning a lot of broken caps lock key in uh just above sunset in uh, los angeles apparently um, a lot of broken broken caps lock keys. All caps rage tweeting. It's interesting. Jerome Hudson, our entertainment editor, Breitbart, reached out to me and said, I don't think the celebrities are taking the bait this, this time around. I don't think they're they're uh, writing their rage tweets that we always use for incredible content at Breitbart. And I said to Jerome, I said, Jerome, let the Chardonnay kick in. You're making the cardinal sin here. You're not letting them get their Chardonnay. Once they get the Chardonnay, then the rage tweets start flying. Uh, and they sure did. So uh, you'll want to read some of those. Um, I mentioned some bad news. George Soros captured another district attorney's office with a win in Manhattan. Um, someone named Alvin Bragg won overwhelmingly in Manhattan, and this is someone who George Soros had, had propped up. One thing that we've had at Breitbart over the years is noted that Soros has focused a lot on district attorneys. Um, he's identified them as some of these under-the-radar superpowers, and we've seen this play out a lot in L.A. Um, and also throughout Southern California, and this is the plan. This is where... The, the this is when I say the Democrats are more sophisticated in their operations than Republicans at this time, this is a clear example. They're not just worried about you know national races and governor governors' mansions. Um, it's a you saw how tough it was for Trump to get stuff done when he was kind of the only guy ideologically in power with his worldview, even when he had both houses of Congress. It wasn't super easy to do that. Well, Soros has found a hack, so to speak, which is that you control these district attorney races and you control a lot of America's lives. And um, we will get into more of this, I think, as time goes on. Um, but just a, a a negative note there and something to keep to keep on your radar. Um, one thing that's also interesting is to see the reactions from the, the Democrats and the, Repo- and the Republicans in terms of what must be done in terms of now moving forward um go, going to move forward uh, in terms of their agenda biden's build back better agenda the spending agenda and i think privately a lot of democrats are saying things like this is a effing disaster and the fact that the wokeness persists and is making it so you can't build a coalition around uh, actually getting stuff done is only going to get much more difficult. Let's play a clip of Joe Biden, President of the United States. Mr. Paul, play one eight. How much
1: responsibility do you take for the dismal results in Virginia and the unplasticity?
3: Well, look, yesterday reminded me of uh, that one of the sacred rights we have is to be able to go out and cast our votes. And remember that we all have an obligation to accept the legitimacy of these elections. I was talking to Terry to congratulate him today. He got 600,000 more votes than any Democrat ever has gotten. We brought out every Democrat about there was more votes than ever has been cast for a Democratic incumbent. I'm not incumbent, a Democrat running for governor. And no governor in Virginia has ever won when he's of the same or he or she's the same party as a sitting president. What I do know is I do know that people want us to get things done They want us to get things done. And that's why I'm continuing to push very hard for the Democratic Party to move along and pass my infrastructure bill and my Build Back Better bill.
0: (laughs) I mean, you have to love this. That is, Joe doesn't have a fastball anymore, but that's pretty good that he found a silver lining and then he goes with the real problem here is we didn't get stuff done. Come on, man. The issue was not getting enough d- done. It wasn't critical race theory and covering up for the trans agenda, and the unnecessary anti-science lockdowns and the failing school systems. It was not enough build back better. That was Terry McAuliffe's problem, and that's why we got to get the build back better agenda through. It's pretty good. If that's the takeaway, I'm happy. Um, but you're going to see Nancy Pelosi announces now. Uh, this does not change the agenda. We need to put our foot in the gas. Get. The Biden agenda through, the spending agenda through. And I think you will see elsewhere throughout the United States that the resistance will grow and it will become much harder for Biden to get stuff done. And I think that's positive. I think it's clear that he's lost anything remotely close to a mandate. And uh, it is incumbent upon Republicans to now fight back in a robust way and to not pass these gigantic multi-trillion dollar bills with one stuff in it that are going to be handouts for people to buy votes. I will mention a couple other stories quickly that I think are essential for you. Ron DeSantis has announced key steps to ensure election integrity in Florida. Ballot harvesting will become a third degree felony. Again, other than taking on big tech, I can't see a bigger issue that can be done um, by Republican governors right now. These are the two issues that will ensure permanent Democrat majorities is the, if the tech industry continues to be able to manipulate the information that you read and control and curate the information that you read, uh, that is obviously going to change incalculable amounts of votes. Um, But the other one is this system where there are, uh, is becoming easier to cheat. You want it to be easy to vote, hard to cheat. It is now becoming easy to cheat. And if you're in a state with weird mask rules, harder to vote, ironically, But Governor Ron DeSantis on Wednesday announced four key steps he's urging state legislature, his state legislature to take to enhance election integrity in Florida. One is elevating the crime of ballot harvesting, which is a Democrat favorite to a felony. I've got a big section on breaking the news. My New York Times bestselling book from earlier this year on uh, the danger of ballot harvesting. I recommend you pick that up. And uh, the four-step plan includes urging the legislature to create the Office of Election Crimes and Security solely dedicated to investigating and prosecuting election fraud. So good. He wants to crack down on the ballot drop boxes. The effort that's being put forward in Florida must be a template for much of the country. I don't think there's news to any of you that I would think that. But it is a good thing that he's trying to figure out ways to make sure the elections are more secure. Um, the last one I'll put on your radar, which I think is the sleeper story of the day, is the coronavirus is spreading in Beijing and it is three months before the Olympics that we shouldn't be at anyway. We shouldn't be going to a Olympics in Beijing anyway because they are, uh, in turn, Muslims. They are openly racist. They hate our country and are trying to manipulate us. And they're trying to manipulate our elections, by the way, and they had a pandemic that they unleashed upon the country and they won't even let us get to the bottom of it. Not to say that the Dr. Fauci of the world are particularly interested in getting to the bottom of it nor is the establishment media but they have been incredibly dishonest about it. They've been held they've not been held to account and now we're seeing massive coronavirus outbreaks. So the fact that we're seeing these outbreaks means it is not just outrageous in the sense that China should not be dignified with an Olympics but is now dangerous to have an Olympics there. So I don't know if this is going to come up, but it might actually come up. This is something the media wants to ignore this because it confirms a lot of the conservative media's narratives about China, and it uh, it, it refutes a lot of the establishment media's narratives, which is, remember, Fareed Zakaria said China vanquished the coronavirus, CNN analyst, uh, about a year ago. They vanquished it. Well, now they have massive outbreaks happening right now. So even though they declared China beat the virus, they've largely ignored that the fact that there are outbreaks at this time. So not only will people die, but it will also continue to dignify the communist regime with more money and more credibility, which it does not deserve. And it needs to be held accountable and right away. We'll be right back. Today's interview is with the always interesting J.D. Vance, who is running for Senate in Ohio, best known for his mega bestseller, Hillbilly Elegy, which sold millions of copies, which is unfathomable for someone who sold the book. That did pretty well. Uh, That's millions is a huge number. And it really did capture the hearts and minds of, I think, a lot of America. And it was sort of, uh, we don't get in the book too much on this show, but we have in past uh, interviews, It, it is largely about how The left and the elite in our country miss the story of the gutting of America's middle by globalism, and yet it doesn't seem like they've internalized any of the lessons that they could have gleaned from the book. Uh, But oh well, maybe that means they'll lose some more elections, which uh, I'm perfectly fine with. Uh, But we cover a lot of topics. Let's get into it. JD, so many places to go today, but I assume you will have some thoughts on the red wave that took place on Tuesday. A lot of good news. Um, What's your take?
4: Yeah, it's pretty simple. I think basically don't avoid the culture war. And for so long, I think Republican officials have been worried that the culture war is an electoral enemy, or at least a weakness for them. And yet it turns out that a lot of our voters are voting around things like whether their kids are being indoctrinated in schools and whether their kids are being told that there are 40 or 50 or 80 genders. And uh, I really think that but for Glenn Youngkin being willing to lean into the culture war around critical race theory, I don't think he would have won. And so we should be we should take the lesson that if you actually want to win in this country, you have to defend our voters. And you have to defend their values.
0: I think that's a great place to start, because one thing that's certainly clear, that is uh, there is a backlash that is taking place against the woke agenda, whether it be the trans uh, insistence that we must accept that men can be women uh, and vice versa, but also this critical race theory stuff, which is one part, uh, all, all white people, I guess, are innately racist, but even our whole country's always been innately racist, which it just seems like there's so much less of an appetite for that. Uh, I think you've been kind of making this point for a decade, basically, that keep pointing it to, Uh, White people, particularly the white poor, and acting like they're oppressing the Oprah Winfrey's and Michelle Obama's of the world is getting increasingly ridiculous. And to watch, you know, pampered elite people on MSNBC and CNN of all colors, Hector white people who uh, are among other races who voted for, you know, winsome Sears in Virginia is getting even more ridiculous than it was a decade ago when you started writing about this stuff.
4: It's really crazy to hear the Joy Ann Reads of the world say that uh, a bunch of white supremacists elected the first black female <laughs> governor of Virginia. And, of course, I hate the identity politics thing. I hate when our side does it as much as the left. But it does go to show the fundamental absurdity of what they're saying. It's that Basically, racism is anything that doesn't give the Democrats more power. And, of course, the reason they use that accusation is not because they care about minorities or not because they care about racists or whatever the whatever the, the topic of the day is. It's because they recognize it as a useful strategy to give them more power. But if we learn anything over the last couple of days, the best way to respond to that is to mock and make fun of them and ignore them, not to be cowed by it. And I think all of us have had this realization in our own way. You know, some of us, you know, so, some got it very early. I think I came a little bit later to it. But I think all of us have basically recognized that the left is using these terms really to acquire more power, uh, not because, you know, we disagree with them, but maybe they're sort of acting in good faith. That's clearly not true. And we saw it again and again from the ridiculous race oaks in Charlottesville uh, to the way that they're talking about Winsome Sears. It's just obvious what their what game they're playing. And we should play a different one.
0: You said something that I I like there, which is that you don't like when our side plays identity politics. I don't either. And one thing that is compelling, I think, about... Uh, this week, even though it is very fun to see the rise of Winsome Sears, but not just because she's a black woman and a Marine and an immigrant, um, but because of, she talks about God and family and American values and how great it is to be in this country. And, and that is something that has nothing to do with her skin tone. Uh, and I do think that this is something that I I think that that is still, even though so many people on the right want to play identity politics, I do think what really won this week was ideas. It was not who was advancing the ideas. It was what the ideas were, uh, or maybe I'm just being too optimistic here. But I do feel like ultimately that was the key.
4: No, that's absolutely right, and I agree with you. When you listen to her talk, that's that's sort of the most exciting part of it is that she's just a normal person, right? She has convictions and religious views that a lot of normal middle class Americans have. And she's not afraid to express them and actually lean into them as a political candidate. And this, this is one of the things that I think has to happen in our party is that if we want to win, I think, and excite our own voters, we need to run people who think like, who act like, who have some basic commonalities with our own voters. And this is, you know, this is maybe one of the great takeaways of, of the last four or five years is that I think we're going to be seeing fewer and fewer Republicans. Who sort of come from the inside the beltway crowd? Or we're going to see more and more who actually come from outside of it. That's going to look in different, you know, different ways. I, you know, I hope it looks like me in Ohio. I hope it looks like Winston Sears in, in Virginia. But it's it's definitely not going to be the same crop of candidates, and that's good because the same crop of candidates. Like I said earlier, they've been running away from the culture wars. It turns out the voters want us to fight the culture wars.
0: Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And I do feel like when people get overly invested in the politics of it, you lose the fact that I, it is the culture wars that I think brought this home. And a lot of it was the first example of what will hopefully be many of the coronavirus hysteria backfiring on the left. Um, Virginia, the most galvanizing thing was the schools. um, yeah, I you know I have ties to 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 Virginia, being an Arlington resident, and I'll tell you that the the code JD in my Beltway neighborhood was not um uh, you, you couldn't say you were a Trump supporter, but you could always wink wink nod nod say uh, open up the schools, and that was kind of the code for uh, you know we, you might not be part of the Beltway establishment, you look uh, just a, a a short distance away in Loudoun County. The fact that these lockdowns lasted for so long, even when they weren't working, allowed for parents to get more involved in the school system, and they could see not just the racial indoctrination, the anti-science masks, but cover-ups on behalf of the trans agenda, and parents put their foot down. And this is a cultural flashpoint, potentially, so long as that movement can expand. Uh, you've got young kids. I mean, could you give me some thoughts on some of this?
4: Yeah, well, and of course, you know what's so crazy about Loudon County is that father who was Carried off like a criminal, and was protesting, and was sort of the basis of a lot of the Merrick Garland treating parents as domestic terrorists. You had this father in Loudoun County who was protesting what was going on in his father's or his daughter's school, and then you find out that his daughter got raped because of the transgender obsession in Loudoun County and basically the cover up uh, that came along with it. And and what you realize, I think, is that a lot of parents have sort of assumed that we're living in a country where. The leadership class, whether it's in our local schools, our administrators, whether it's, of course, our politicians, like, that they fundamentally care about it. Maybe we disagree with them about this or that issue, but they fundamentally are out for the best interest of us and our kids. And what we're all kind of waking up to is that there's this extreme hostility, this like fundamental dislike that a lot of leaders have for the citizens of their own country. And, and nowhere is that more obvious to me than in the school debate and the masking debate. I mean, why do we continue to mask our children? We know that children are not at risk of coronavirus. We know that the masks aren't slowing the spread in their schools. We know that kids don't pass on the coronavirus as much as adults do. So why do we continue to do this? It's not because our leaders are misguided. It's because our leaders don't like us and they, they feel empowered to exercise control over us.
0: And there's a, there's another element to that which is they want to control us which is something i think was a huge gaffe among many in the McAuliffe campaign suggesting that the people who need more power are these corrupt school boards and the teachers union and not the parents and i think that that did not set well with the parents um and it's clear no one's saying that you can't mask up your kids is just we're just saying you shouldn't be forced to for them to be able to you know go to public school at this point we know this much about the virus uh, and this is not it shouldn't be a secret to people at this point. It is become some sort of a political virtue signal.
4: Oh, absolutely. And you still see the way that they use the fear tactics around this. Which I think is really disgusting. Right. At this stage in the coronavirus situation to still be scaring parents. I mean, you hear Terry McAuliffe. What overstating by like 100 or 1000 to one, the number of people in Virginia, the number of kids in Virginia who had been hospitalized with coronavirus, the real number was something like two. Uh, they they still can't quite let go of the incredible power high that they've gotten from terrifying people over COVID. And I think, you know, thank God most people are just saying enough, right? We took it seriously. We did what we were supposed to do. Uh, We followed the guidelines until it was realized it was clear the people who were issuing those guidelines were idiots who didn't care about us. Now it's time to go back to normal.
0: J.D. Vance again is with me. Hillbilly Elegy is his book that sold millions of copies, and Senate candidate in Ohio, which we'll get to in a moment. At J.D. Vance, one on Twitter, J.D., you gave the keynote at a conference, a National Conservatism Conference, uh, obviously a worldview I think you and I both share for a while. Uh, what do you think is the key message for a sort of nationalism uh, in and conservatism in, in terms of that cross section at this particular moment? You know, towards the end of twenty twenty one.
4: Yeah, I mean, I think the broad takeaway of that conference is we have to be a movement that defends the voters and the citizens of the American nation. I think so many of the things that you and I care about from immigration to trade to law and order trace back to this fundamental principle that our politics at a national scale, and it sounds simple and easy, but a lot of our politicians don't get it. They exist to defend our people. They exist to make it easier for our citizens to live a good life in their own country. They don't exist to prop up and support global regimes and people who hate us. Now, the the, the particular topic of my speech, the argument that I made, is basically every negative idea in our country, from critical race theory to transgender ideology uh, to the idea that if you want a good job in your own community or you don't want your kids to be indoctrinated, you must be a racist, All of these things come from the universities. And so the argument I made is we as conservatives have to really commit ourselves to taking down the universities in this country because it's it's sort of the cancer. Uh, The tumor is the universities and it's spread all over our politics and we have to fight back against it.
0: Um, I'm a supporter of that so how do we do it and you of course come from a place of authority on this you're a, a, a Yale Law grad um, what is the what are the steps necessary because this is one of these things that it seems like we do so often on the right is we announce that the schools are the problem and then we keep sending our kids to them and accumulating massive amounts of debt yep. and they, they get stronger in some ways as their endowments get bigger which are, make their success a self-fulfilling prophecy so what are the steps we take
4: yeah, I think a couple of ideas. So, so first, you mentioned the endowments. And of course, the endowments have gotten massive because of pol- politics, right? Because we've given them preferential tax benefits. You know, the Harvard University endowment, $45 billion, pays a lower tax rate uh, than any of the middle class members of my family. We should change that. We should actually uh, apply punitive taxes to the university endowments in the same way that the left tries to apply punitive taxes to all of our institutions. It's time to fight fire with fire. But the second thing I think we need to do is basically in the same way that you can get a high school equivalency degree, basically a GED, I propose that we create sort of a college equivalency degree, basically make it possible for people to completely avoid the college process altogether because, because, of course, a lot of kids don't learn anything at college. They're brainwashed. They acquire a lot of debt. And, of course, our entire economy has told children for now a generation but if you want to have a middle class life, you've got to go to these four year university programs. I think we break the power of these colleges, make it easy for children to basically prove that they're just as smart and just as capable as any kid who went to college without forcing them to go through the four year debt bomb process that colleges become.
0: I think that I like the idea of encouraging people to go to trade schools to get focused more on their internships and their careers, Uh, but again, there's so many lines of work that do require a degree and hopefully a prestigious degree in order to get it, and I don't really see an answer to that, because so long as that's the case, you're going to have these universities that are going to be able to lobby, they're going to be able to be very powerful, they're going to have a lot of money, and they're going to have a lot of credibility, And this is a concept I think it traverses a lot of areas of our society at this time where the right we play in their sandbox. We'll use their social media platforms. We'll go to their universities. Uh, They don't play in our sandbox. And this is something that I know you're taking this on firsthand because you're an investor in in Rumble. Um, I know you've probably given this even more thought than I have. Uh, There does not seem to be easy answers to this stuff.
4: No, there's no easy answers. I mean, look, I, I totally agree with you. We need to put more money and more resources into trade schools, and of course, take money away from the colleges and universities uh, in the process. But I, I do think that we have to have a cultural awakening. You know, I, I was speaking with a supporter of mine in Ohio, a very successful guy, a very supportive guy, and he's, you know, I was talking about why we have to get out of this mindset where we send all of our kids to their schools and are surprised that a lot of our kids come back liberals who hate hate their country. And he said, you know, basically, I, you know, I agree with you, but what, what is your, is your solution really, uh, that I should have my kid become an HVAC specialist. And, and I, you know, I, I responded to the guy, so man, you've got to get out of that mindset, right? There's nothing wrong with being an HVAC specialist. In fact, your child may make more money doing that than, yeah. than become a, a sociology major at an elite university in the state of Ohio and acquiring a lot of debt in the process. And so th- there is, I think, a cultural mindset shift that has to change. But I, again, I, I think that there is a political part of the solution here, which is we have allowed colleges to acquire a ton of power in our society, a ton of money, because our politicians have empowered them. We have to stop doing that.
0: Uh, one of the things that has uh, always is a constant topic when you and I speak, J.D., is the, the tech Industry, which seems to be getting worse by the minute, and so long as there's an administration in power that does not threaten them at all. Uh, they will just take more territory. Uh, Some of the latest revelations is that is now confirmed uh, via these Facebook papers that they are censoring conservative content. Facebook cut off 20% of Breitbart's traffic from Facebook, even though their own audience, their own users want more Breitbart content. It's being deprived of them, but we're not alone. Much of conservative media has had the same stuff. Uh, We also learned that these um a uh, multinational conglomerates often backed by billionaires and uh, billion dollar companies are getting subsidized by Facebook, whereas publishers that are more popular but less capitalized, like Breitbart, for example, we don't get paid. We're treated like a second-tier publisher, and that's not even good enough for the left. The left wants to kick us off entirely. They're trying to suggest we shouldn't yeah. be a part of the platform at all. Uh, Google is now going to demonetize climate skepticism content. That's their next move. You know, Google, the biggest ad network in the world, you're not going to be able to make money on anything that goes against the status quo and climate change. Uh, JD, it's just getting crazier by the minute.
4: Yeah, it is. And I think there, there are two basic things that we have to do. One, you know, people like me have to be supportive of and try to build up alternative platforms. You mentioned I was a, you know, early backer of Rumble. They're doing very well. I actually met with the CEO of Rumble uh, just a couple of days ago, and it's going great. The company's doing very well. You know, on the other hand, we have to break away from the rhino mindset that these companies, which have become powerful through special government privileges, cannot be broken up. And cannot actually be regulated. If they got big and powerful through government privileges, we need to start unwinding those privileges and using the power of our constitutional republic to go after these companies. I mean, look, we talk about this all the time, but the the, the biggest social media platforms kicked off the sitting president of the United States, the most powerful person in the world, unable to reach his voters, unable to reach his citizens because of the actions of a few multinational corporations. That cannot happen. And the question, I think, for our party is, are you willing to use power to break these companies up, or are you going you know, to tisk tisk and say, no, we can't do anything about them. They're private companies, even though that's a joke of an argument. And, 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 you know, my view on this is that the only real way forward is to punitively go after these companies, to bring them to heel, to, give them, you know, to force them to, to accept some measure of neutrality. You can treat them as common carriers. You can break them up. There are all of these things that we can do to them. But it requires the, the end of the Republican who says we can't touch them because they're private companies. It's a stupid idea. It's a bad argument. And if we continue to follow that line of thinking, we're going to wake up in 10 years and not be, be able to speak our mind in our own country.
0: Uh, to shift gears uh, critical race theory is been a hot topic we've been covering a bright part for 10 years but it was a big factor in Virginia and it's interesting how the narratives are it's very galvanizing to work against it for uh, it seems like particularly people in the suburbs but really Americans across the country a lot of them are not happy with it and yet much of the establishment media is acting like it's not even being taught um, I went to a prestigious prep school in Los Angeles they openly teach critical race theory it, it is they're, they're not even shy about it so acting Like it's not happening is strange, and the the left sort of incoherent on this. Uh, How big of a deal do you think this is in the landscape right now?
4: I think it's a huge deal, and of course, you know they say they weren't teaching it in Virginia, and yet the Virginia State Department of Education website had curriculum materials published that explicitly endorse critical race theory. So it's just preposterous that they're not teaching this stuff. It's obvious you look at their own source materials. You know, here let me just maybe a little bit, because the fear that I have with the, the galvanizing pushback to critical race theory is that a, re, a lot of Republican politicians are going to run on it, that we're going to win on it big this year and next year, and then we're not going to do anything about it, right? Ah. When Glenn Youngkin said he's going to ban critical race theory, he needs to actually do it. We need to follow through on this, or we're going to lose, oh my God, our voters are so energized and passionate, they put Glenn Youngkin over the top in a heavily blue state, we have to now do something about it. And this is the fundamental problem that Republicans always have. We, we have winning issues. Our voters and even a lot of moderates are excited about them. But then we get in office and we run away from actually doing anything about them.
0: J.D. Vance, author of Hillbilly Elegy, Senate candidate in Ohio, at J.D. Vance. One last one for today. You're in a crowded primary in Ohio, a lot of good candidates uh, you're running against. How do you distinguish yourself in a field when you have the rare uh, task of having to actually try to beat other people who are pretty good? Uh, it's, so often we're loaded up with kind of lame ball divisions. It's a it's a how, how do you what what are the tactics that are working for you right now?
4: You know, I just try to not be boring, and I try to not be fake. I mean, at the end of the day, I think our voters can sniff out when somebody's just repeating slogans at them instead of talking to them about real issues, and I try to talk to them about real issues. I try to be honest about, you know, where I think something is easy to solve and where I think something is hard to solve, uh, and, I, and I also, you know, I sort of invite the scorn of the media because I think that the, you know, not you, of course, but I think that most of what has determined a successful Republican politician in the last 10 years whether it's Donald Trump as president or Josh Hawley in the U.S. Senate, is being willing to accept the scorn of the media, to ignore it, to reject it, and to keep on doing your job anyway. And so, you know, I kind of lean into the fact that the left-wing press hates my guts, and I try to show our voters that I'm going to keep on talking about what needs to be talked about, even and especially when the media says you're not allowed to.
0: J.D., I wish you continued success, and I know we'll talk to you soon.
4: Okay, thanks, Alan. Take care. Be right
0: back. Yeah, as I've said a lot on the SiriusXM radio show, the it's very odd and out in Ohio that they've got a bunch of really good candidates, and I, I love Ohio. I spent a lot of time out there. Ohio seems to like me for some reason. It I seemed to get uh, many speaking invitations out there more than any other state for whatever reason, uh, but I like it there, and they somehow have managed to come up with a slate of pretty good candidates. Uh, And uh, it's a shame because there's just so many lamos in the Senate on the Republican side. But, you know, we could get someone good. So hopefully we will out of that state. All right, let's get into our caller of the day. And today our caller of the day is Bob in Texas. And Bob says that the Republicans need to keep their foot on the gas And they can't act like they've won a war, which there was a lot of gloating that was going on online, which is fun. Um, But it is deeper than that. It's deeper than One Night has got to become a movement. The Let's Go Brandon movement needs to turn out more election victories. I think he's correct to get people, try to keep people engaged and to use this as an opportunity to build momentum. Um, So this is not the, the, the end, but it is a beginning. This is not the graduation, but this is the commencement. How about that? All right, let's play Bob as our caller of the day.
5: I'm a combat vet. I kind of like to use uh, some analogies that we use when we're, uh, when, when we're downrange. All this winning right now is great, but we've just taken the hill. We haven't won the war. We have to remember uh, our history as, as Republicans. When we start taking hills, we start getting comfortable and more comfortable and more comfortable, and we say, okay, well, I think we're doing great, so I'll, I just won't go and vote. Everybody else will take care of it. Now, we've got to stay the course. we got to keep taking those hills. And once we've taken enough, we'll have won the war. And it's just uh, one of those things I like to remind people about, especially in my circle, is that we can't wait. we got to keep going. Don't just relax. It's like that football game that you're in, you know, where they get 20 points ahead and they start relaxing. Next thing, next thing you know, they've lost the game. But we don't want to lose this game. we got to keep going.
0: Uh, I think you're right on this, Bob. Uh, Who do you think you're are you speaking to any groups in particular? Because I think that there's a lot of people after 2020 who knew it wasn't totally above board, who acted like the solution to this is to not vote. Um, Case in point, giving away those Senate seats to uh, Democrats in Georgia. And I I, I don't know how you would make the case, given the success Republicans had this week. I, I don't know how you would see. That is the solution at this point. I think the solution is you got to still vote anyway, uh, try your best to affect the outcome in that way, and then when you, you get power, then you try to make sure the system sharper and uh, more efficient.
5: Absolutely. You know, the the people that I would look look towards and and probably target more more is the younger crowd. They have been through some of the things that the older crowd has been through. Some of the younger younger group has a tendency to be uh, a little more entitled if you will well we've won this we should win the rest I think we really need to go after the younger group and especially stay after uh, you know the, the, the Hispanic vote and the black vote because I think it's mostly the younger group though that just does not want to and once they've won something they okay well we're good
0: yeah I hope you're you're wrong on that Bob but I do think that you are correct to urge that level of caution
3: I got American politics.
0: that's all for today thanks to producers paul Demilio and greg ebon thanks for listening we'll see you tomorrow for another brightbert news daily podcast